welcome. You're listening to the podcast of First Church in Vacaville, California, Pastor Timothy Wisnett. We are so glad and honored that you would join us today, and we pray that this message you're listening to is a blessing to your day. We want to invite you to visit us online at firstchurch.app to get connected with us and learn about our service times. We hope to see you at a service or a special event sometime soon. Uh, that there would be kind of a hiatus between when we started and pick up on it again and do that all over again uh, because we'll be off next week and then we'll come back and but we're going to kind of dip and dabble or what we call back home we'll just sop it up when with some bread all right we'll just we'll sop up that gravy amen and uh, we'll just pick up what we can praise God that's the best part of it anyway Amen. Numbers chapter 17, beginning at verse 2, speaking to the children of Israel, and take of every one of them a rod, everybody say a rod, rod. according to the house of their fathers, of all their princes according to the house of their fathers, twelve rods, everybody say twelve rods, write thou every man's name upon his rod, and thou shalt Write Aaron's name upon the rod of Levi, for one rod shall be for the head of the house of their fathers. And thou shalt lay them up in the tabernacle of the congregation before the testimony where I will meet with you. Verse 5, And it shall come to pass that the man's rod whom I shall choose shall blossom, and I will make to cease from me the murmurings of the children of Israel whereby they murmur against you. Then you go down to verse number eight. And this is like one of the coolest things ever. And it came to pass that on the morrow Moses went in into the tabernacle of the wilderness. And behold, the rod of Aaron for the house of Levi was budded and brought forth buds and bloomed blossoms and yielded almonds. Now I don't care who you are, that's cool. This rod that was cut down and just was a rod. Overnight, it has buds and blossoms and is bearing almonds. That is just one of the niftiest things in the whole word of God. That just overnight, boom. I mean, it just starts blossoming. It ain't connected to anything. Amen. And that's what God does. And we're going to pick back up on tonight talking about branches reconnected to the vine. Amen. Amen. Branches reconnected. I am so glad that I am one of those cut off branches that the Lord has reconnected back to the vine. Amen. 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 Would you help me pray for just a moment? Jesus, we thank you tonight for your word, for your presence, your spirit. Thank you, Lord, for every singer and every psalm of worship. Lord, for the family of God to which we feel strength among tonight, pray, Lord, that you would open our understanding. Help us to know you more through your word. Help your word to form us to be more like you. Give us understanding and revelation that doesn't just make us better people, but, Lord, makes us more like you, we pray. In Jesus' mighty name. And the church said, Amen. Amen. Look at somebody before you're seated and say, you look better than I do tonight. Amen. Now, some of y'all need to join me and repent at the altar. No, I'm just kidding. You can be seated. Amen. I'm going to just snapshot some things and then we'll uh, dive forward into this. 
it's, it's important to understand that we are a part of the kingdom of God. I think it's really important to understand uh, in your daily life, but uh, especially for sake of our lesson in moving forward, we are a part of the kingdom of God. You're not just part of a building with four walls and a bunch of people, but you are a part of the greater kingdom of God. That's an eternal kingdom. It's not a temporal kingdom. You're not, you're not a part of the kingdom of God in, in just this year or in this locale, but you are a part of the kingdom of God in entirety. Amen. And our roots go further than just uh, the, the UPCI, and it goes further than that. It, it goes to Pentecost, and it even goes further than that because we've been grafted in, amen, to the old root system. Praise God. Now, the word uh, kingdom is mentioned at the onset of the New Testament because uh, the Lord is wanting us to realize that we are a part of a kingdom. Now, we don't understand much about kingdoms. We live in a constitutional republic, and so we don't really get you know, premiers and kings and queens and, and princes and princesses, you know, all that stuff's fairy tale to us, but there are places where it's real. And for the vast majority of humanity, all the way up to about the last 80 years, it has been the most dominant force on the earth to understand the power of the king and the power of the kingdom. Amen. I'm, I'm glad we don't live under a monarchy uh, anymore. Amen. So thankful for that. Praise God. I celebrate Treason's Day every 4th of July. Amen. Praise God. We're not under the monarch anymore. Praise God. And uh, they ain't ever quite been the same since we waved bye-bye to them anyway. Amen. And so we don't really understand. We don't understand that. No, we, we, we live in a, in a country where we're blessed to have freedom. Amen. And, 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 and whatever your opinion might be, would be, or whatever it is about, we still live in a very blessed nation. And we, we, we live much more free than the majority of the population of this planet. Amen. Don't let anybody fool you, all right? Um, you're blessed. Don't, don't, don't let them fool you. Talk to somebody that, that's lived outside these borders. They'll tell you how blessed that, that you really are. Amen. Uh, but we, we don't understand really what it's like in, uh, you know, to, to where if you say something against a monarch or a, um, a, a ruler that, that you and your family would be uh, uh, killed. I mean, we get mad when our speech gets suppressed on social media, and yet, you know, we got a right to get upset about that. It goes against our values, but, you know, no, nobody got burned at the stake over that. Right. Right. You know, uh, I was, I was uh, reading, um, reading a book here recently, again, about Paul Pot and the killing fields of Cambodia and the atrocities that were listed there. And uh, how just insane it was when this communist Marxist regime comes into uh, Cambodia on the heels of the uh, Vietnam War, and they felt the power vacuum in Southeast Asia, and they come in, they just they started killing anybody that was educated because education, uh, they didn't want any education. If you had glasses, if you wore read, if you wore spectacles, any glasses, they would kill you, your whole family, as far as they could trace it. Uh, this, we're not far removed from this, folks. This was just in 1978. I mean, I was, now I know it was two years before I was born, and I know you think I'm old as dirt, but that wasn't that long ago. Uh, some of y'all may remember reading headlines about Paul Pot and the killing fields in Cambodia. Y'all probably remember some of that in the mass exodus out of there and, and how the people were not allowed to read. They, the, only, 
The only uh, radio they could read was uh, listen to was propaganda. The only books they could read was much like North Korea is right now. And so we, we, we talk about, you know, your people say, we're not free anymore. Well, compared to what? I still think we're blessed. And so we don't understand what it's like to live. And I pray, I pray to God we'll never know what it's like to live under a regime uh, that commits wholesale genocide against people that don't agree with them. We're, we're blessed people. In the kingdom, it was that way. And there, there is no First Amendment, amen, in, in, a, in a kingdom where there is a monarch. There is no First Amendment, amen. That's why we've got to have the Second Amendment to make sure we keep the First Amendment, amen. <laughs> And say, so, well, what does the second amendment do? It keeps the first one there. Amen. <laughs> Praise God. I mean, I was in Thailand last week. I actually, I probably shouldn't get into that. <laughs> Amen. Well, I'll just tell you a couple of young men that I know there that I've been connected with for a few years. Uh, they, uh, they're from Myanmar, uh, Burma, and they've had to flee their country. And... Uh, they looked at me and they said, why would anybody in your country ever want to give up a right to possess a weapon to fight? And I just, I was just kind of shocked. I don't know. They get to, the people, the media scary enough. And he said, you know, if we only had what you guys have, the military wouldn't be overthrowing our country. And they have family that, that was machine gunned down and thrown into the river. And so they, they've had to become refugees in the Thailand. And so anyway, that, that didn't cost you anything, okay? And so we don't understand what it's like to live under tyranny. We don't understand what it's like to live under absolute rule where you don't get a choice, where we, we are all serfs or slaves to the, to the monarch or, or to the system. Amen. But uh, we, we have that blessed freedom. But when Jesus is talking about a kingdom, he is talking about a kingdom of light. He's talking about a kingdom of freedom. And, and, and not in the sense of freedom meaning I can do what I want without consequence. That's not what freedom, freedom is not the absence of consequence. True freedom is responsibility of action. Amen. And, and, and so in the kingdom of God, there's absolute, there is freedom in the kingdom of God, but it's not a free-for-all. And, and Jesus is teaching that you are a part of a kingdom. Now, what kind of a kingdom? Now, in Bible times, they had no concept of democracy. They had no concept of a republic. The idea was there. Uh, the, Greece, the Grecians had put it out there. The Romans had adopted some type of it. And, uh, but they would come in like they did into Israel. And they would stamp down the nation of Israel and say, You're free under my boot. As long as you pay the tax. <laughs> as long as you pay that tax. As long as you kiss the ring. As long as you live under this impression, you're, you're, you're going to have the privilege to be under our rule. And, and so they didn't understand what we, uh, what we understand freedom as. And this is really important to understand because they couldn't comprehend living how we live. They didn't have that comprehension of, of freedom to move about. Freedom. I mean, think about the freedom that you have just to go to Walmart when you want to go to Walmart. I mean, you ever, I, I highly recommend you go to Walmart every once in a while. 
just go and sit on the bench. You ever start feeling bad about yourself? Just go to Walmart and look around a little bit. You say, I ain't nearly as bad as I thought I was. <laughs> Amen. Amen. <laughs> just go people watch for a while. Amen. You want to feel good about yourself and feel lost for any hope of humanity? Just go sit at the mall for a while and just watch people a little bit. Amen. You'll go, ah, we ain't got much longer in this world. Amen. Uh, but, but the freedom to move about, the freedom to just go. Folks, I want, you to, I want you to get this. This is a recent phenomenon in the history of mankind. To be able to move at will. Even in my lifetime. In my lifetime, there, there, there were prominent restrictions of movement. When I was in South Africa um, a few years ago, when I went to the Congo, and I stayed over in uh, Johannesburg for a couple of days, and I was at the um, hotel, and, and um, Brother Garza has seen this, and, and different ones that have traveled with me, especially overseas. I, I, I just I start getting to know people. I want to connect to people. I want to, I want to really get connected to people. I usually will say, hey, where are the where all the white people go? I said, oh, they go there. I said, well, you take me that direction then. <laughs> I don't want to be with all the European and, and Anglo. I, I, want, I don't want to be in the tourist trap. I want to be where the people are, right? And so I, I was sitting outside the, um, the hotel, and across the street from the hotel was a, was a massive tent, like a big circus, and it was a, a casino. So I didn't, I didn't go in there, but I was sitting there kind of looking at it, and I sat down on the bench, and I was uh, drinking some water and eating a bag of really stale potato chips. And I started striking up a conversation with the gentleman, and we started talking. And he told me, he said, yeah, I own, a, I own a taxi company. I'm like, really? He said, yeah. Matter of fact, I'm here right now to see if anybody needs a ride. And I said, that's great. Where's your taxi? And I'm looking for something yellow. And it's a, it's a Mercedes sitting right there. And of course, over there, that's not a big deal. Though. We're, we're all, it's like a Toyota Corolla over there, right? And so it's just a, it's just a car. And so I'm looking at him, man, that's great. He goes, well, what are you doing here? I said, well, I'm going to Congo, I'm going to Lumbumbashi. And, and he's, oh, man, that's great. And he's talking, he's got that thick South African brogue going. And uh, he starts talking, he says, well, you got any plans to do anything today? And I said, not really, I'm kind of getting over the, you know, adjusting for any jet lag before I get in the Congo, because it's going to be seven days, you know, nonstop teaching uh, uh, to pastors. You know, we'll be teaching like seven, eight hours a day, so I'm just trying to rest up from the travel. And he goes, well, um, he said, hey, I don't got any appointments today. You want me to show you around Joe Bear? And I said, well, yeah. Now, here's what y'all thinking. Did you know him? Did, did you run a credit check? Did you see if he was a criminal? Did, was there axe, an axe in the trunk and a chainsaw? I didn't think about that. We'd been talking for 30, 45 minutes. And became, we became good friends. And so I said, sure. So he, he says, uh, I said, well, how much is it going to be? Well, it was equivalent like 50 bucks for the whole day to ride around in a Benz. That's good money here. I mean, you, you would do that here. You just ride around people that you don't like. You roll down the window, sit in the back seat going, onward, James, drive. <laughs> you know you would. <laughs> and so he opens the back door and he says, he says, uh, he says, Reverend, why don't you get back? I said, no, I, mean, I want to sit up front with you because look, if he's going to pull anything funny, I want to be within headshot. You know, I don't want to be in the back. We lock the doors and got, I'm friendly. But I throw hands at the same time. You know, you ain't going to take me down like that. I'm going to be close. And, 
And I don't care what country I'm in, uh, uh, wherever I'm at, I, I, I got bubble with me the whole time, you know. And so we're, I, I, I pray God heal you after I stab you if you take me somewhere I don't want to go. Good thing we both speak English pretty good. <laughs> and so we get in the car, we're driving down through Joburg and and we're talking about some, and we're, we're just, and we're having a great time, and he's showing me around, and we're, we're finding so many similarities and so many wonderful things. I mean, you've got to get outside your culture. I mean, there are just wonderful people everywhere. And so he says, uh, he says, well, what would you like to see? And I said, how far is Soweto? <clears throat> he looked at me and goes, <clears throat> Soweto? Why do you want to go to Soweto? And I said, well, you know, I've read, you know, so much of my life, you know, I, I've read about, you know, the civil rights here, and I, I, I would really love to see where uh, Nelson Mandela was. And he just looked at me, and he goes, you know Nelson Mandela's from Suedo? I said, yeah, let's go. He looked at me, and he goes, it's kind of dangerous there. He said, we call that the ghetto. I said, we call it the ghetto too, but I'm with you. Let's go. And so we go to Suedo, and he goes, well, I'm going to he said, I'm going to drop you off. I got a park. Now, I'm telling you, it was rough, too. It was beautiful. I mean, they had dashikis everywhere. You know, yeah, hey, Joe, you want to buy a dashiki? And it's like, yeah, I'm going to wear a dashiki. They're going to kill me over there wearing a dashiki. But I bought a few of them anyway because they were cool. And so he drops. I didn't wear it, but it was cool. And he drops. He goes, you just stand right here. I've got to pull around the back, and I got a park. It was so narrow, you know, we both couldn't open our doors. And so he said, you just stay right here. And I said, okay, man, I'll wait for you. Well, man, I heard some music, and to be quite honest, I smelt some chicken being cooked on the grill, and so I started walking toward the music, and I'm headed off down there, and I mean, people are looking at me like, I think I, think I could have got jacked, but they thought I was too crazy. And I'm just, I'm walking, and I, I had totally forgot that old dude told me to stand right there. I was just so caught up. I'm right here where Nelson Mandela lived. Man, I'm right here in the thick of it. And I'm just, I'm just walking. And, and I'd walk, I guess I'd walked about two or three blocks because I hear him hollering my name. Hey, Rob! Hey, Rob! And I look, by the time, I'm, I'd already bought two dashikis and chicken on a skewer. And he walks up and he said, he said, it's too dangerous for you to buy running by yourself. And I said, well, I thought it was safe. You know, there's a lot of people out there. He goes, that's the problem. You'll disappear. I said, I'm, gonna dis I'm the only white guy within 100 miles of this place. You think I'm going to disappear? I look like Casper walking up through this place. And so we went over, we looked at all this. It was, it was awesome. He goes, where do you want to go after? Went to where Nelson Mandela's home was. It was an humbling experience to see his home was, was smaller than this platform. And uh, looked at all that. And I'm thinking, man, this is great. I'm, this is in our lifetime. Apartheid is in our lifetime. And we're talking about real, real oppression. And he says, where do you want to go next? I said, isn't Benjamin uh, Tutu still alive? He goes, yeah, it's Holmes. I said, let's go by his house. I'm going to go see him. Drove by his house, and I'm the idiot hanging out the window, taking pictures. And he's like, get back in the car. Somebody will snatch your phone. You know, I have my iPhone up like this. I really, he said, they'll snatch your phone when you're going by. God just helps. He's with the feeble-minded, you know. And so... We, I mean, we had these long, deep, meaningful conversations about, about equality and, and, and about freedom and all of this stuff. And he says, uh, and we had lunch and it was great. I mean, we, we, were, we were gone like nine hours. And he says, hey, Rev, I'd, I'd like to take you somewhere. And I said, where is that? He goes, uh, I, want to, I want to take you. I want to take you 
to experience what my life was like. And I said, okay, where are we going to go? He goes, I want to take you to the Apartheid Museum. And I said, the Apartheid Museum? He said, yeah. I said, they, they, they have one here? He goes, yeah, yeah. I said, well, I ain't going to get shot if I go there, you know, right? They're going to think I'm, you know. He goes, no, no, you're with me. You're good. I said, okay. So we pull up. Man, there's lines of people getting in. And so as we walk in, he, he stopped me. He goes, I want you to know. Uh, uh, he says, it's kind of some heavy stuff. And I said, okay. And so as soon as I walk in, they hand me a number. And they give me a name. They say, you're going to be, you know, Joe Bob Freddy Jack or whatever I was. And a number. And then you end up finding out what happened to that person. It's, it's gut-wrenching. And we're going through the apartheid, and I'm looking at the atrocities that were happening. I'm thinking, I, I was in Little League when this was happening. I remember this coming on the news about the, the uh, armored vehicles. They call them armadillos that were going through down through the ghetto. And just they were setting homes on fire and arresting people by mass. And I'm, I'm sitting there watching this toward the end of it. Man, we saw all this stuff. And, and the, the, the guy that's with me, he just keeps looking at me. He goes, yeah, I lived through this. Wow. He, and he pulled out a pocketbook. See, he was like 55 years old. And he pulled out a pocketbook. It was like that thick. I was looking at stuff through glass. He said, this is what I used to have to have just across the street. If I was caught on the wrong street without permission from a white person, I could get beaten, thrown in jail. And my family never see me again. He's walking me through this. I mean, this is, this is pretty intense stuff. And at the end, you sit down and you watch uh, a, a kind of a documentary for about 15 minutes. I'm going to tell you, about halfway through it, I got up. I, I mean, I couldn't, I couldn't even look up. I was crying so hard. Like, we didn't even realize how bad it was. And he walks over and he just puts his arm around me. He starts hugging me. And I said, hey, can we just get out of here? I can't handle this anymore. Got out, walked out. I was crying. He had his hand on my back. And, he, he's, and, and the rest of the day, he told me what it was like because, because he had a white father and a black mother and that was actually worse than just being black. And he couldn't cross the street without a passport. He said every day to go to school, I had to cross six streets and I had a passport to get across every one of them. He said if I didn't, even as a child, I could be thrown in jail. Folks, that was just 20 years, 25, 30 years ago. We are blessed just to have the freedom of movement. Amen. That, that's what you call an oppressive regime. Jesus was talking about a kingdom in a regime where there was going to be absolute freedom. He said, for the thief cometh not but for to steal, to kill, and to destroy. But I have come that you might have a life and that you might have that life more abundantly. It's not a reckless life. It's a life of structure and freedom. Amen. I'm glad I'm a part of the kingdom of God. Amen. And, and, and so I use that, that somewhat heavy illustration to show you, amen, that, that even the things that we do daily today, we take it for granted because we don't even realize how blessed we are. We don't even realize how blessed we are. And Jesus was writing and saying, I'm establishing a kingdom that is no longer built upon the negatives, but built on abilities. Remember, when I talked about this, I talked about Moses. Just as Moses went up to the mountain, just as Moses led the people out of Egypt, and he went up to the mountain, and he received ten commandments from the Lord. Likewise, Jesus 
be like Moses in the sense to lead us out. Jesus led a multitude out. Jesus went up on the mountaintop. Rather than coming down with ten commandments, he comes down with nine commandments. The law was built on the negative, what you can't do. Jesus said, I'm going to give you nine abilities called the Beatitudes. Blessed is he. Blessed is he. Whole lot different than Moses saying, thou shalt not. Thou shalt not. In a lot of sense, it was a whole lot easier under the law of Moses. Because Jesus now comes, not to do away with the law, but to fulfill the law. Amen. I mean, the Ten Commandments was, was fairly easy. It was cut and dry. Thou shalt not kill. That's pretty simple, right? I don't, I don't need to do a diagram in the Latin and the Hebrew on that, right? Pretty simple. Don't kill folks, okay? Pretty simple. You can go to church and worship, and, and, and you can go to temple and be like, I'm a good person. I didn't kill anybody with an axe handle today. I'm, I'm, I'm doing good. But Jesus said, you've heard it said, thou shalt not kill. But I tell you, if you have hatred in your heart towards your brother, you are a murderer. And my Bible tells me that murderers won't enter into the kingdom of heaven. That's why it, we, don't, we don't just need to love everybody. We, we must love everybody. I don't care who they are, where they're from. We love everybody. I don't have to accept their lifestyle, but I can love them. We've got a, we got a big uh, miscommunication of what love is. Love is not an acceptance of who, what they do. Love is an acceptance of how God gave his life for them. I, I saw a picture, and I'm telling you, it triggered a bunch of, bunch of uh, folks, religious folks online. It was a beautiful picture. I would, I would actually love to have a print of it. And it showed Jesus in different settings where he was kneeling down, and he was kneeling down and washing uh, the feet of a prostitute. He was washing the feet of a drug addict with a needle in their arm. And then next thing you see him, he's washing the feet of Donald Trump. Then he's washing the feet of Joe Biden. Then he's washing the feet of somebody with the pride flag. And then he's washing the feet because Jesus loves everybody. He didn't give his life for the good people. He gave his life for whosoever will let him come. Amen. It's not an acceptance. It's love and mercy. He said, well, I think it's taken too far. I don't think Jesus can love somebody like that murderer. That's hatred. We can't look at anybody and hate the person. I can hate sin and not hate the person. We've got to learn to do, to, to do that. We've got to learn to love people and not define people by their sin. Because if you hate the sin and all you see is the person, then you're going to hate the person. Amen. You, you, you've got to learn to separate that and say, I don't agree with what they do. I don't care what flag they're waving. I don't care what they're smoking, drinking, snorting. I don't care who they're going to bed with. God loves them because they're a soul. And I'm going to love them. I don't have to agree with them. I, I'm not going to pick up their cause. I'm never going to sanction that lifestyle. Because that's not what love is. Hey, that's not what love is. Love is not acceptance. Amen. Love is saying God loves them. And I can love them in spite of what they do. Amen. When my daughter 
When my daughter was about two and a half years old, she loved to play in the yard, and she would wander out into the street where there was traffic. Amen. By that definition of love, if I loved her, I should have let her play out there and just hope that a car wouldn't run her over. Love restrained her to boundaries to say, you don't go past that because I love you. My love for you does not let you go do things I know are going to hurt you and ultimately kill, but my love says, I'm going to restrain you within the boundaries of safety. That's what God's love is. His love is ever-reaching. His, his love is everlasting. Amen. So, does that make sense? Y'all ain't going to believe this. I ain't got off the first page yet. Amen. So, Jesus come down preaching the, the, the nine beatitudes. And, and so, we'll put it this way. It, it was pretty easy in, in some sense. Well, you know, relatively speaking to live under the, I couldn't have done the whole no bacon catfish stuff. But the other stuff was pretty easy, you know. I'm sorry, I got to have my pork chops, all right. But the other stuff is relatively easy, you know. Don't, don't, don't kill anybody. Got that. Come close a few times, right? But I haven't actually done it. And so have you, you know, right? The person who stands at, at, at McDonald's for five minutes trying to figure what they're going to order. Okay, okay, McDonald's has been out almost since refrigerators. You still don't know what you're going to order? Hurry up, right? Hurry up. Somebody merging in that left lane doing 55. Right? All right. Hallelujah. So I, I ain't never, I, I never killed anybody. So I just I come to the temple. I make my sacrifice. I go, look at me, Lord. I'm, I am so good. I didn't kill anybody today. And then Jesus says, but if you hate somebody, you're a murderer. It's the same thing. Oh, boy, that, make, that, that all of a sudden makes the law different from just being able to say, well, I can obey it here because the law could only fix the outside. The law could never do anything to the outside, inside. So, so they, could, they could make everybody believe they had it here, but they never had it here. So when Jesus shows up and says, you can't hate anybody, well, the religious people get mad because at that time, and you, you, you can like it or not, but I'm telling the truth, it's in the Bible, the, the, the Jewish people were extremely racial. They thought they were God's only people. Uh, God didn't love anybody else but them. Anybody, but if, if you were not a Jew, you were an animal. Right? It's in, it's in your book. Read it. And so when Jesus shows up saying, you've got to love everybody, and it's not limited to the Jewish race, and not only that, you've got to forgive everybody. Now, now, even Peter kind of coughed on that one a little bit. He went, <laughs> what? I've got to forgive? Say, Lord, <laughs> how many times should I forgive somebody? Seven times? You know, Brother Vincent, he thought, you know, he was working the art of the deal. He thought, I'm going to start out here high. I'm going to start out high, right? You don't go to the big car dealership and have a you know, $20,000 car walk in and go, I'll give you $80,000 for it. Right, so he was, he knew how to negotiate. He was a fisherman. He'd been in the market many times. He was a skilled negotiator. He looked at Jesus and said, well, how many times should I forget? Seven? Like, it's a big number. <laughs> well, you ain't never worked with a knucklehead then. Because seven is a big number. <laughs> and Jesus looks at him and goes, seven? No, I say unto you, 70 times seven. And people went, I can just see people elbowing him. You dingbat, shut your mouth. 
We could have got him. Why'd you open your mouth and say seven times? Just shut up. You gotta say seven times. He said seventy times seven. Come on, mathematicians. How many is that? Four hundred ninety times. Are you kidding me? Four hundred ninety times. And you and you know and you know uh, Simon Peter had a calculator in his pocket. That's one hundred thirty-two, Bubba. Four hundred and three. Say it one more. Come on, say it again. Say it again. I only got four hundred ninety times to forgive you. Four hundred ninety-one, Bubba. I'm gonna cloud up and rain all over you. Four hundred eighty-nine times. Do it. Do it. I come on. Four hundred eighty-nine times. Say it. Say. It. What Jesus was saying was not here is the number that is the limit. But if you understood the language that he was speaking into the Aramaic, what he was saying was basically, it's an infinite amount of times that you're going to need to forgive somebody. So just get ready for how many other times they offend you. You got at least one more time to forgive. No matter how many times they tick you off, you got one more time to forgive. Kind of goes like this. Where sin doth abound, does grace much more abound. In other words, God's grace gets greater than my offense toward God. Amen. I'm so thankful for that. Because I'm sure there's at least been one day in my life where I needed God's forgiveness 491 times. Amen. Amen. Praise God. So Jesus is talking about this this forgiveness stuff and Peter's over there like grabbing his head. Are you kidding me? Uh, How about you not do away with the law, Jesus? Let's just stick with it. And I can hate everybody I want. Jesus says, you, 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 hate, you hate somebody, you're a murderer. Then Jesus says, well, you've heard it said, thou shalt not commit adultery. Yeah. Not done that. Jesus says, okay. <laughs> Put your coffee down. You're going to spill it on this one. <laughs> I tell you, if you look at a woman and lust after her in your heart, you've already committed adultery. Whoa. Jesus, don't mess this up. We've had centuries of window shopping. <laughs> well, I'm having a little bit of narrative, but this was the reaction. Wait a minute. Wait a minute. I don't commit adultery. That's easy. Just don't get into bed. But in their minds. See, Jesus didn't do away with the law. He completed the law. He took a law that Paul said was weak and ineffective. And he said, yeah, the law could never fix what was on the inside because it was too focused on what was on the outside. So Jesus said, that also and. Amen. Isn't that awesome? No, it's not awesome. Our flesh has got to deal with this. It'd be a whole lot easier if we only had the ten. <laughs> that means you've got to like people. Amen. You can't go live in a cave and say, I hate everybody. You can't do that. You hate everybody. Jesus says you're a mass murderer. You can't do that. Amen. So, so Jesus, Jesus is blowing their minds. So you've got to be careful. You know, when Jesus came to fulfill the law, it wasn't that he was doing, making it void. He actually strengthened it by fulfilling it. Yeah. 
for instance, with dietary laws. Thank you, Lord. I'm so thankful for that one. If he didn't fulfill any other law and he just fulfilled that one, I, I, I would shout on the hills of glory. Because when he fulfilled the dietary law, Meaning that I can eat bacon-wrapped catfish dipped in lobster sauce. <laughs> and when I go home for Christmas next month, I'm going to be eating me some catfish atchafalaya. And if you don't know what that is, you ain't lived yet. I'm just telling you right now, the worst thing you can do with some catfish atchafalaya and gumbo and etouffee is let a little bit of it get on your forehead because your tongue will beat you to death trying to get that thing off. Amen. And so... Jesus shows up, and I believe we're on John 9. They start talking about dietary laws, and Jesus does something so revolutionary. He says, you know, it's not what goes in a man that defiles him and then, and then goes out. He said, well, it's, it's the condition of his heart. And it said, therefore, Jesus declared, and King James says, therefore, Jesus declared all foods clean. The literal word there is, therefore, Jesus declared all foods kosher. Matter of fact, uh, some years later, Peter would still have an issue with this in the book of Acts. He really is, was a hardhead, wasn't he? I think that's why I can relate to him because years later, because if I, now I'm going to be honest with you, if I would have been standing there, Brother Clifton, and Jesus said, now all food's kosher, I'd have went, where's the bacon? Give <laughs> me some pork belly right now, amen. <laughs> Praise God. But some years later, the Lord speaks to him in a vision. And, and all of a sudden there's this net that's just set down. You know, he was a fisherman. He understood nets and blankets and all this stuff. And so he sets it down and inside the net, it took him off because it wasn't fish in the net. Now, I don't know what you know about fishing or farming, but you don't catch pigs in nets. And all of a sudden a net comes down. God is using an element that he can understand because as a fisherman, you use the net to bring in things you're going to eat. So he automatically, even before God speaks to him, begins to associate something, something about this is, is, is diet. And then when it says, hmm, the Lord speaks to him and says, rise, slay, and eat. And Simon Peter's response is, he was such a self-righteous dude too. He gasped in this holy vision. I have never. I can just see Jesus in heaven going. When you get up here, Bubba, we're having bacon. He said, I have never touched an unclean animal. And then God rebuked him. He wasn't gentle with this. Jesus rebuked him and said, how dare you call something that I've created unclean? Now, I'm going to bring this together and then I'm going to close it and maybe the following week we'll get to the third paragraph. <laughs> but I've got, I'm talking about branches connected to the vine. We cannot do away with the Old Testament. And the law, so well, that don't apply. No, no, that, that's just that's just that's just Israel. We are Israel. Yeah. Now I don't I don't care who this upsets, and you, you know you can get a rock in your shoe and walk with it. But I'm going to tell you right now, God is married to the Gentile bride. 
Christ has married the Gentile bride. The church is not God's side chick. He's not just got us on the side and he's going to divorce us and go back to the Jewish people. He divorced them. He's with us now. And if they want in, they've got to go through the blood just like we did. You, you must bow and confess that Jesus Christ is Lord of all. And, and now, now, we're in times past, Brother Michael, in times past, I would have had to have obeyed the law of Moses and the law of circumcision to get into it. Now, all of a sudden, there is a new covenant in his blood. And he said, now it's a circumcision not made with man's hands. It's a circumcision of the heart. It's the putting away of the flesh. And now you don't enter in by the works you do, for we are saved by grace. Not by works, lest any man should boast. Whereas in the Old Testament, you were saved by the works you could have. In the New Testament, you're saved by the grace of Almighty God. Back then, you were saved by touch not, taste not. Now over here, you're saved by a sacrifice you could never give. And that salvation, God never voided his promise. To his people. He just transferred it. He transferred it from natural Israel to spiritual Israel. That's us. That's the Gentiles. That's all of us in here. Gentile. And so now, just as if before Christ, if I wanted to become a person of God, a people of God, and I could only by uh, uh, rituals and religious rites that I would have to go through to, to, to come into the Abrahamic covenant, and although I would never truly be accepted as the people, I could go into that. But now, because of the blood of Jesus Christ, and he has called himself out a people, we are the ecclesia. Everybody say the ecclesia. That is the Greek word. It means the prophetic called out ones. That's where we get the word church or ecclesiastical. Amen. We are the church. We are the called out ones. That is God's definition of his people, and it has always been from the time of the garden in Eden to the time now that God's people have always been a called out people, a chosen people, a separate people, people that he put aside for himself. Back then, it was through the law and circumcision, but in the new dispensation, that is the grace, the church, the ecclesia, the prophetically called out ones, it is not the works of the flesh that bring us into the kingdom, but it is the works of Calvary that bring us into the kingdom. Oh, hallelujah. And that's why we're a branch reconnected to the vine. That's why we are a branch that has been connected to the vine. Everybody say, I've been connected to the vine. Now, we're not going to get into this tonight. We, we don't have enough time, but, but I'm just brushing this, and I'm going to try to land the plane somewhere here. Hope there's a runway. Jesus is telling them now, I am fulfilling all of these things. Now, now you got people that get into Jewish worship or Jew worship. We don't do that around here. It's not biblical. We're not going to start wearing little yarmulkes and talits and you know putting up menorahs and all this kind of stuff. Why would why would we go back to that? That's like a dog. The Bible said going back to their own vomit. We don't, we don't do that stuff. Amen. Now there's some great illustrations. I have a a, a prayer talit. 
I have a shofar. But, but it's more for just visual things. <coughs> God, God don't move any greater when we blow on a ram's horn than he does when we shout hallelujah. Matter of fact, he's more attracted to my hallelujah than he is hot air through a ram's horn. I mean, some, you know, sometimes I've been to churches before and they pull out that ram's horn and they blow. People start going crazy. It's like, come on, no, that, 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 that's, that's not biblical. Start pulling out the talits and they start rocking back and forth like they're at the way of the wall and they're praying, hakama, 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 and all this stuff. God's not drawn to that. God's drawn to the praises of his people. He's looking for somebody to worship him in spirit and in truth. Not in talit and toga and, and, and yarmulke. Amen. We don't go back to that because we're, we're in a new dispensation. Christ has fulfilled that law. I, I was, uh, when we were in the Philippines last week, or a week and a half ago, however long ago it was, <clears throat> we were to, Brother Garza was listening to me and Pastor Serena as we were talking about a man uh, who had been a part of us. <clears throat> and uh, several years ago, I was preaching in his church, and we had a great move of the Holy Ghost, and I walked over to him, and I didn't know what was going on in his life, but I went over to him, and he was sitting over here, and I laid my hands on him, and I said, such as I have, give I thee in the name of Jesus Christ. Be healed right now. I didn't know he had, I didn't know he had just been diagnosed with diabetes and they were giving him a short time to live. In, in a third world country, you're, you're not going to live long with those type of issues. And his health was already found. I really didn't know that. I didn't know. But God healed him. Instantly God healed him. His pancreas started working right. His insulin levels regulated. And, and God healed him. He testified about it. And, and every time I went to the Philippines, it didn't matter where I was. They'd get on jeepneys, tricycles, buses. It, they'd go where I was. And he would just show up and say, look, I'm still healed. It's a miracle. And so some years later, I went back and I was uh, talking to Pastor Serena. And I said, hey, how is, how is uh, a pastor, what's his name, doing? And, he's, and he was always, oh, he's doing good. And then, and then this, last, this one time he said, he said, oh, he said, Pastor, he's not doing good. And I thought, you know, diabetes has come back. And I said, well, what's going on? He said, he's, he's becoming a messianic Christian. I said, I felt like saying, what are you talking about, Willis? <laughs> messianic Christian? Are you serious? He said, yeah. He said, they, they, they've taken uh, their church and they've put menorahs up. They have... They have uh, ram's horns. They obey the Jewish dietary law. They do new moons and feasts. And they start worshiping on Saturdays. And uh, they're, they're, they're pretty much no longer with us. And I said, what are we doing tomorrow night? He said, well, we got a service over here. And I, or maybe it was a few nights later. I said, well, cancel it. We're going to have service at Pastor Chris's church. He said, well, I don't know if he'll let us. He said, that's on Sunday. I said, I could give a rip what day it is. We're going to go there and have church. He said, I, he said, I, I don't think he's coming back. I said, I, call him and tell him I'm showing up and we're having church. And you understand the Filipino culture is not that way, but I just kind of bull my, rushed my way right in it. And we ended up having some, a church there. And other churches showed up and they're, you know, they're wearing their tallit, their yarmulke, and they got uh, menorahs lit on the side and all that stuff and uh, it was a Sunday specifically I wanted to have church on Sunday in that building because I wanted to show him God could show up on a Sunday and move he didn't need to move on a Saturday 
I'm going to tell you right now, ain't nothing biblical about having church in the New Testament on a Sunday or a Saturday or a Friday. It doesn't matter what day you choose. But however, if you want to walk down that road, I think I could give biblical evidence where the New Testament church belongs having a holy day being Sunday that we would choose to worship the Lord. I'll prove it to you. Jesus rose from the dead on the first day of the week. The Holy Ghost fell on the first day of the week. If it's good enough for Jesus to get up and the Holy Ghost to come down, I think we can have church on Sunday. Amen. And so we had church that Sunday night. Holy Ghost moved. Uh, the, the area churches were there. Man, we just we just blew that Jew worship right out that place, man. We started worshiping, talking in tongues, and having a great time. Well, after service, uh, he was kind of embarrassing. We went over to the side. They don't have offices in their church. They live in the back of their church, and we're sitting over here. And I said, I said, I looked around. I said, but things are different. He goes, yeah, yeah. He said, I've come to a revelation. I said, oh, really? <laughs> He said, I've come to a revelation that we, we need to be obe obeying the feasts and we need to be obeying the Sabbath and, and we need to be obeying, you know, shaka mahaka mahaka and all this kind of stuff. And I said, whoa, 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 wait, wait a second. So you're going back under the law? I said, Christ came to fulfill that law. He said, oh, no. Oh, no. We got I said, whoa, whoa, wait a second. So he, he said, as a matter of fact, we have rebaptized our whole church in the name of Yahshua. I want to say, you got a bunch of flies going around or something? Sure, sure. <laughs> he said, because that's the name of, the name of Jesus is not Jesus, that's English. <laughs> he said, we baptize in the name of Yahshua, and he was getting defensive. I was trying to take him serious at first, but I can only take ding batteries so serious, you know. And I just said, and I said, are you okay? Did you rebaptize your church in the name of Yeshua? He said, because that's the name of Jesus. I said, you're not even pronouncing it right. You need to rebaptize your own church. It's not Yeshua. It's Yashawa. It's not Yeshua. If you're going to do it right, get them back in the tank and do it right. I said, but if you do that, it's a waste and you're making void the work that Christ did on Calvary. Because I said, Pastor Chris, when I prayed for you a few years ago and God healed you, I didn't put my hands on you and say in the name of Yahshua or Yahshua or Jesus or Jesus. I said in the name of Jesus Christ. And when I said in Jesus' name, your pancreas began to regulate insulin and your body has been healed ever since then. We are a branch grafted into the vine. Now I want to tell you something. This may shock some folks, but God is multilingual. He invented all languages. So it doesn't matter if you say Jesus or Jesus or Jesus or Yahshua or Yahshua. It doesn't matter because God understands the language in which you speak. And you know who else understands? Demons understand the name. I don't care if you say in French, Swahili, Spanish, English. I don't care if you say in Hebrew or Aramaic, Chinese, Korean, Japanese. When you say the name of Jesus, the demons know that name and they know the power of that name. Oh, hallelujah! And so, and so, so I walked out there sad because I realized no matter how much I showed him in scripture, he wasn't going to see it. And I realized tragically, and I've seen it happen to a few people, I realized tragically that the devil had not deceived him, but God had deceived him. 
because he received not a love for the truth. The Bible says God would send a strong delusion that you would believe a lie and be damned. There was nothing I could say. And to this day, they're caught up in all that mess. I'm going I'm to tell you something. You, you, you better be careful of people that think they're wise. Just because somebody can quote a lot of scripture don't, know they, don't mean they know it. I know kids that can count to a thousand but can't add two plus two. You better understand the word of God. That's why these people show up knocking on my door, you know. Hey, where's Jehovah's Witness? Always respond, was there a wreck? <laughs> They're big on this whole Saturday worship. Got to worship. And, and they don't like talking to me very long. I would love to have good conversations with them, but they want to. Because I just look at them and say, now, correct me if I'm wrong. But didn't your founder predict the coming of the Lord in about 1893? And hasn't they predicted it four times in the last 125 years, the last time being in 1967, to which you demanded all of your members sell their property and send all the money and proceeds they have to the headquarters in New York, which is the Watchtower? You seen people? You ain't buying what you're selling. I may have been born at night, but it wasn't last night. And you start taking scriptures out of the Bible and you rewrite it because it don't flow. My Bible tells me, Paul said, though I or another angel from heaven come preaching any other gospel, let them be accursed. If you got to change the Bible to fit your doctrine, honey, your doctrine's wrong. And I don't care how many healings and miracles happen. And I don't care if you can walk into a mortuary or a graveyard and everybody jumps up and starts running. It doesn't matter. What matters is it better be in the book. Every jot and tittle better be in the book. Amen. Praise God. They get all caught up into this stuff. There's, there's a resurgence of this stuff. You know, in Colossians chapter 2, uh, Sister Olivia, if you'll help me here in a minute, um, uh, give me Colossians chapter 2, go down to about verse number four, 14. Let's see where we land. And I'm going to give you one more scripture. Hey, it's Bible study night. Come on Sunday, I'll throw it down. I'll preach on Sunday, but I'm teaching tonight. Amen. Drop, uh, drop down, keep going. These are all powerful scriptures. But Paul is warning about this stuff. Amen. You being dead in your sin, blotting out the hand, go down to verse 15. This is powerful stuff. Going down to verse 15. There you go. 16. See, I told you it was verse 16. Let no man therefore judge you in meat. Huh? Not in meat. Or in drink. Not in meat. Nor in drink. So if bacon offends you, honey, pray over it and have a bite. You got, you got Christians now. They're going in this Macedonian. So, oh, we got to go back under the law. That's not, we're not, we're Gentiles. We are the new Israel. We're spiritual. And Paul wrote to a bunch of Gentiles like me and he said, let no man therefore judge you in meat or in drink or respect of a holy day or new moon or of Sabbath days. You say, well, how can people fall into that? It's right there. Because they don't love truth. God allows them to be deceived. Go down to verse 17. We're going to keep going there, sis. Uh, which are a shadow of things to come, but the body is of Christ. All of these things were a foreshadow 
of what was to come and is fulfilled in Christ. Hold it right there. Don't take it off. I'm going to prove this to you. Why did God teach Israel not to eat certain meats? You ever thought about that before? I have. You know, I was like, why? Why shrimp? Have you never tasted that? <laughs> why crawfish? Come on, Lord. What? What? And, and you, one, one can make an argument because it was cleanliness and, and you know, there's parasites and all that kind of stuff. But you know what? There's parasites in cows. Right? There's parasites in salad. There's actually more parasites in herbs than there are in meat, which is why the Lord delivered me. Amen. <laughs> I'm a meat eater. Praise God. Hallelujah. No, I'm just kidding. And so it, it wasn't necessarily the cleanliness of it. I want you just just follow me for a minute. Because God is not a short-sighted God. Anything God says or does, he has a purpose to it. He always has a natural and a spiritual purpose for that. Why did he tell Israel, you're not allowed to touch these things. You're not allowed to eat these things. You're not allowed to go these places. You're not allowed to wear that. You're not allowed to eat that. You're not allowed to be like that. What God was driving into them is, you are my people. And if you are going to be my people... You must come out from the world and be separate. You cannot be like the Amalekites. You cannot be like the Canaanites. You cannot be like the Philistines. You cannot be like the Jebusites or the Hittites or the Perizzites. You are my people. And I'm going to show you how to be different in every way because even when you wake up in the morning and you get dressed, I don't want you to mix cotton and linen. And when you sit down to eat, I don't want you to have bacon and I don't want you to have shrimp. I want every aspect of your life and what you put on to what you eat to remind you you are a holy people because I'm a holy God. Be you holy as I am holy. I'm going to separate you from not allowing you to plant two seeds in the same field. I'm going to separate you to the fact you can't eat what they eat, can't wear what they wear, can't go where they go. You can't even talk like they talk. You know there is no Hebrew cuss words. There is not a Hebrew cuss word in their vocabulary. When Hebrews cuss, they have to borrow our language. Now, in the last few thousand years, it's been homogenized, but there was no language of cursing in the Hebrew language because even their language to be pure. And when they wanted to say something that would defile with their mouth, they had to reach over to the Egyptian language or they had to reach over to the Canaanite language or they had to reach over to the Syrian language because God didn't allow it in his language and they had to borrow. He said, I even want your language to be separate. I, I, I want you to wake up in the morning and know you are separate from everybody else on this planet because I'm your God and you're my people. God never stopped his people from being a chosen people, a holy people people, a separate people, a called out people. He just he just said, no, no, no. I, instead of it just be, I'm going to fulfill that dietary issue. I'm going to fulfill all of that in Christ now. But wherefore, come out from among them and be ye separate, saith the Lord, and touch not the unclean thing, and I will receive you unto me, and you shall be my people, and I shall be your God. You shall be my children, and I will be your father. You don't belong to them. You belong to me. Their day of worship was different than the worship of the pagan gods. Everything God was doing was to keep them different. Yes. Keep them separate. Yes. Keep them different. 
I read this and, and I don't got time to get into it, but he drilled them in the book of Exodus. You are a peculiar treasure. You are a peculiar treasure. You are a peculiar treasure. Then you jump over to 1 Peter and he says, for you are a chosen generation, a royal priesthood, a peculiar people that should show forth the praises of him that has brought us out of darkness and into his marvelous light. In other words, you're not a weird people. You're just a peculiar people. You're not a strange people. You're a chosen people. Now, it may be strange to the heathenistic ideas of this world, but to me, what the world calls cultish, what the world calls different, what the world calls weird, I call holy, chosen, separate, peculiar. You belong to me. You shouldn't care what they think about you anyway. What I think. Give me John 5. Amen. Give me John 5 and 18. I'm, I'm not going to do this to you again. Last night I had him read 500 verses. Before you put it up, give me John 5, 18. And just hold it there But before you put it up. And I'm going to conclude with this. I, I, and I, don't, I, I said this last night. And I'm going to say it to you. I don't know why I, I, I felt the Holy Ghost pull me in this direction. You can just say pastors chasing rabbits down trails. Or we can say there must be a divine conspiracy. God knows what he's doing. And maybe some of you are dealing with this, thinking about this. You're connected with people or about to be connected to people that are under, trying to go back under the law of Moses. We've had people in our, in our campuses in the last few years try to get caught up in all this stuff about having to worship God on Sabbath, which is Saturday. The Bible tells me that Jesus is the Lord of the Sabbath. Amen. So any day, any day he's alive is a Sabbath day. It's a holy day. Amen. And, and so I told somebody, I said, uh, I said, if I can prove to you Jesus broke the Sabbath, I guess I even got some people right now go, oh, 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 Jesus would have never broke the Sabbath. Oh, he did. <laughs> he did. Give me John 5, 18. Get, get a mic and read it for those that are on. Here you go. For those that are watching online, we love you. We miss you. Amen. Therefore, the Jews sought the more to kill him because he not only had broken the Sabbath. So, oh, oh, wait, back up and read it slow. <laughs> Therefore, the Jews sought the more to kill him. Why? Because he not only had broken the Sabbath, but said also that God was his father, making himself equal with God. Hmm. So Jesus broke the Sabbath. It's right there. Over the man with a withered hand. Remember, just a few weeks ago, I preached on how much more. How much more is a man? than an animal. Jesus said, look, you, you people, you break the law if your ox got stuck in a ditch, but here's a man that needs to be healed. And you're offended because he got healed on the Sabbath? And then Jesus turned and said, well, if that ticks you off, hold on to your britches. I got another one for you. Son, thy sins be forgiven thee. Oh, nobody can forgive sins but God. He's going, uh-huh, uh-huh, right here. Put that in your little sanctified teacup and sip on that a little while. He said, yeah, 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 yeah. They sought to kill him because he broke the Sabbath. Now, did Jesus break the Sabbath because he violated the law? No. He was the creator of the law. He fulfilled it and said, a New Testament do I give unto you. Amen. So, what does this got to do with branches and vines? 
Because if you don't know what we're connected to, you'll never know the covenant you've been called into. Because we ain't Johnny come lately's. We ain't the new kids on the block. We ain't the wet behind the ear religious group. And I want to be clear, although we are Pentecostal in our experience, apostolic in our doctrine, we are much older than Pentecost. Yes. Because at Pentecost, at Calvary, God did not plant a new seed. He cut off the dead branch. The people that he came to save that rejected him and the, and the Jews. He hewed that out of the vine. And he reached over to a wild bunch of people like us. Now maybe you weren't wild, maybe you've been good your whole life and you never thought a bad thought. It doesn't matter. If you're a Gentile, he came for you. And he reached into the vine and he notched out a place and he pulled what Paul said is aliens. Not little green men with big almond shaped eyes. Aliens meaning cut off, not a people, not valid, not established, not of any worth or value. People that were alien of the faith. People who were in once times, Paul said, cut off. And he took that cut off from God and he hewed out the branch and he hewed out the vine. And he said, I'm going to make a place for you. I'm not making a separate place for you. I'm making a I'm going to cut off this that rejected me. I'm going to rip out this thing that didn't want me. And I'm going to reconnect it into the vine. And I'm going to graft you in. And I'm going to graft you into a vine. But you're going to produce fruit. But you're not a new plant. You are grafted into an old root system. A root system that goes into Jesus. That goes to Jeremiah. A root system that goes to Isaiah. That goes to David, Solomon. That goes back to Joshua, Moses. That goes back to Abraham, Isaac, Jacob. That goes all the way back to Adam and Eve. I'm grafting you into a root system. Every promise, every blessing, every curse, everything that I gave natural Israel I'm grafting you in so you can fit and I'm going to put upon you everything I promised to them because once you come out from darkness once you come out from the world once you separate yourself to holiness once you give your life to God once you repent of your sins and are baptized in the name of Jesus and filled with the gift of the Holy Ghost you're grafted in to the old vine as a new branch. Oh, hallelujah. Amen. Sorry, I didn't mean to preach. But he grasps us in with that oil. That, that new branch may not look quite like the old branch. But all of its life is coming. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. They say there are places in the world where there, there are, are, are grapes that are still being grown from, from vineyards they believe were planted in the time of Romans and of the Grecians. You're, you're talking about a thousand, two thousand years. Amen. That, 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 that genetic uh, uh, differences between today's grapes and those vineyards, uh, amen, are, are exactly, if not almost exactly the same genetic uh, of seeds and grapes uh, uh, hues that they have found from two thousand years ago in the temples of Apollo. 
Apollo, amen, and all the goddesses and gods of the Greeks and, and of the Romans, and, and now they are still bearing the same genetic form, amen, they, they, they believe that there's roots that, that, that reach back and they're still producing from them. I want to tell you something, what you're connected to, it goes all the way, you are connected to King David, yes you are, you are connected. And I'm going to tell you, we are kings and priests. Stand with me. Amen. Praise God. Hallelujah. We don't stop. I'm going to get worked up. Amen. Praise God. You're not new. You may be new to this, but the church ain't new to it. The church has been in the forethought of God from day one. I reject the... the, the the ideology that, that man fell in the garden and it surprised God. And God sat there for 3,000 years wondering, how am I going to save these people? The Bible said Jesus was the lamb slain from the foundation of the world. If he's God, he knows everything. The design of God from the beginning was you. I ain't got time to get into it, but I could take it a little further. I'll, I'll give you just a little taste of it. Problem is, we start in Genesis and we go to Revelation, but God doesn't. God feels all time. I preached on that on Sunday. The Bible says God knows not the end from the beginning, but the beginning from the end. Which tells me that God didn't start in Genesis. He actually started way back here. And he started working his way back. And the truth of the matter is, I think I can prove this more than one way, but you know, we write different than the Jewish people. We start on the inside and we write out. The Jewish people start on the outside and work in. We, we flip it around. As a matter of fact, do you know this about, about almost every movie made? Do you know they, they, they film it from the ending scene backwards? You think that Hollywood's smarter than God? God starts here and he works his way back. You say, well, how can he do that? Because he fills all time. So the truth be known, and if that is true, and I believe the word of God is true, that he knows the beginning from the end, that means he had us in mind before he had Paul in mind. No wonder he can say, for every temptation, he hath already provided a way of escape. Because before you were tempted, he was already at your escape. That's why his word says, by, your, by his stripes ye were healed. Talking about your future healing in a past tense. How could God speak about a sickness I don't even have in my body yet, Brother Lee, and declare me healed by that? Because God is already standing on the healing side of my sickness before the doctor even reads me the report. My Bible tells me he shall supply all my need according to his riches and glory. How, how can I begin to comprehend? Like, how can he say he will supply all my need according to his riches? Because he's already standing on it before you ever got the bill. Before, 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 you, before your bank account went negative, he was already on the other side of the blessings. I've already made it. I've already provided. Because we're branches connected to the vine. Oh, hallelujah. Hallelujah. 
tell you something? Just as the church is not an accident, but it is a design. Your life is not an accident. Your life is a design. God has designed you for the kingdom for such a time as this. He knew what you would be. He knew how you would fail. He knows every sin I've ever committed and I will ever commit. And the Bible says every morning he makes his mercies new. Before my feet hit the floor, he measures out abundant grace for that day. That's why when I fall, not if I fall, when I fall, I shall arise. And why I have an advocate with the Father. Because he knows my every move. He knows the intent before I have the thought. He knows the words before I even formulate it in my mind. He knows my steps before I ever bend my knee. He knows everything about me. And he designed me to fit into the vine at this time by his blood, by his grace, by his mercy. Amen. He knew being chosen wasn't going to be easy. He knew being holy wasn't going to always be the most in style and fashionable thing. But God said, come on out from among them. Be a separate. I'm going to be a God unto you and you're going to be my people. I'm going to be a father unto you and you're going to be my children. Why don't you just lift your hands where you are right now tonight. Hallelujah. Come on, just reach up and let the Lord speak to you right now. Let him strengthen you and encourage your spirit right now. Hallelujah. 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 Come on, the fruit is a design of the root. Come on, the fruit is a design of the root. <laughs> he's shaping us. He's forming us. He's molding us. He's making us into his image. That's ultimately what he wants us to be is more like him. More like him. More like him. In the name of Jesus. Reach over and pray with somebody right now. I feel the Holy Ghost in this place. If you want to come to the altar, you can, but you can stay right where you are if you like the Holy Ghost is moving. I feel strength in this place. Oh, I want to be more like you. I want to be, I want to be a vessel you work through. And I want to be more like you. Come on, surrender your life and say, want to be more like you, Jesus, want to be more like you, I want to be a vessel you work through, and I want to be more like Tell him to say, Jesus, I want to be more like you. Jesus, and I want to be more like you. Yes, I do, Lord. I want to be a vessel you work through. And I 
want to be more like come on he's making you he's molding you he's forming you hallelujah I Come on, he's speaking to your heart right now. He's speaking in your heart right now. He's strengthening you. Thanks again for joining us for this podcast. It's such an honor that we could have you, and we pray you were blessed by the word today. We want to stay connected with you, and so give us a follow on our social media pages on Facebook or Instagram. You can find all of those on our website at firstchurch.app. You can also stay connected with us through that uh, website, and you can download it as an app on your phone from there. And so until the next time, we pray you're blessed. Have a great week in Jesus' name.